0: Maccast, Sunday, November 13th, 2022. This episode of the Maccast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, MacGeeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for MacGeeks by MacGeeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How are you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple news, hints, tips, tricks, all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? Hopefully you are having a wonderful, lovely day, evening, weekend, whatever it might be. I am sitting down here at getting used to the cold in South Dakota. Yeah, I'm a California boy, and it's gotten chilly. We're moving into winter, and that's okay. We're getting used to it, Uh, staying warm and doing all right. Looking over the show notes, man, we have some things to talk about. We're going to be getting into uh, design, Apple design and what's going on with their design department. Yeah, there's a little shakeup going on. Actually, it's been happening for the past few years. We're going to get into what's going on with that and where Apple might be struggling a little bit. We're going to talk about AirPods Pro production and some snags Apple hit there and just kind of the supply chain in general. We've got a few stories related to that this week and some iOS 16 stuff and what have you. And then we're going to talk about Apple's upcoming AR VR headset. And that'll probably round out the news for this week. So a little bit lighter uh, as it gets here toward the end of the year, we'll get to the holidays. And speaking of the holidays, we're going to get into some product recommendations. Uh, Listener had a great idea and said, Hey, why don't, why don't we do some community uh, recommendations for Potential geek holiday gifts. And I thought that was a great idea. So I'm going to give you some of mine. Uh, we're also going to get into a running Mac OS, Mac OS Ventura on maybe some older Macs and talk about that a little bit. It'll get into how you might be able to do that and uh, maybe some warnings and, and, What have you. And then also we have a thing of the moment that sort of lines up pretty nicely uh, again with our holiday recommendations for gifts. So I know a lot of people are going to be out there looking for that sort of thing. So we'll get into that and uh, that will round out this episode of the MacCast. So I say we get right into things, starting off with Johnny Ive. Yeah, Johnny Ive left quite a few years back, left Apple and uh, moved on. He did his own thing, love for him, and did actually continue to still do some design, I think, uh, through that company for Apple. But Bloomberg wrote up a piece this week de- detailing Apple's quest over the past three years to try and f- figure out secession plan for what would happen when uh, additional designers and people in the design department will leave eventually. And that's actually what's happening right now. So Ives parted, and uh, he was originally in charge of both the operating system design and the hardware design. It wasn't that way Uh, the entire time, but he eventually moved into a position where he felt those things were so tightly coupled and I would agree with that, that, you know, there should be one person kind of with a big vision and in charge of that. But when he left... Apple re split the duties between uh, operating system and uh, user interface design and hardware design between Evans Hankey for hardware and Alan Dye over on the software side. And what happened, you may remember this story we announced, I think earlier in the year. Hankey announced that she is going to be departing Apple uh, next year. And what's going on with this recent Bloomberg report is they're saying that yeah, Apple's been kind of struggling to figure out how their are going to replace HandKey. And the piece kind of discusses three different challenges that Apple has, and it has to do with where are they going to find replacement designers. So uh, kind of the ideas are they could hire from within, but they're having trouble there because a lot of the designers when I've left also left the company and have moved on over the past three years so they're trying to figure out who exactly would be the right person within the design group to kind of step up and take over that Uh, and reportedly uh, a lot of those designers left because they lost some of the autonomy that they had under ive's reign so i've had kind of gotten them to a place where they could really control their own destiny and more and more it's sounding like operations has now come in since i've left and has more say over designs to try and help keep cost down so it's not designed just for design's sake um, they're having to kind of pull in and, and figure out how supply chain is going to work and operations and stuff like that and we know that uh, there's been a lot of stories of Tim Cook running more of an operations-style Apple. It does make you wonder if that's what happened with some of the recent iPad updates, uh, specifically the iPad Pro not getting the landscape camera update that the iPad did, which would make a lot of sense, but there'd be some technical engineering challenges that would have to happen to to make that work, right? They'd have to move the uh, apple pencil wireless charging and kind of reconfigure things within the the ipad so wondering if that's a battle that maybe design tried to fought fight and then lost just due to costs you know they already have the dies and design we know the ipad pro update was mostly an internal thing uh, in terms of processor they really did not update the design there at all and so just when you hear stories and kind of see stories like this, it does make you wonder a little bit if that's what's going on, but kind of getting back to the whole, uh, how are they going to replace the design team leads story? Uh, they, another idea. So the first idea is try to get somebody within and they're supposedly struggling with that. Another idea would be give hardware design over to Alan Dye. So move it more back into that idea where you have a single lead designer that kind of controls the vision, of uh, hardware and software, and I think this would be the best option. But apparently, there are some worries internally that this could upset the current hardware design team, uh because now they'd have basically a UX designer, a, a software designer, I would uh, assume, kind of leading everything. And also, I'm sure there's some people internally that are expecting to be able to step up into that position, kind of, a la, you know, version one of the options here. But, uh, that supposedly is, is been a little bit of a challenge or a little bit of a concern there. And then finally, they talk about maybe hiring somebody from the outside, bring in somebody entirely new, somebody that might have a new vision or ideas, maybe from Google or Microsoft. Um, and the challenge there is you're bringing in an outsider, right? again, a lot of people, when you've worked at a company for years, you're expecting to maybe be able to move up and move into another position. So that kind of creates tension and those sorts of things. So Apple has a lot of challenges to figure out. One interesting thing about the piece is it also says bringing in an outsider has not worked well for Apple in the past. And, and it sort of, I think, upset the Apple card a little bit. <laughs> not to use a pun, that was totally unintentional. But yeah, yeah. Uh, What's interesting is they say that, but then I immediately thought about Kevin Lynch, who came in and is in charge of Apple's Apple Watch project, which has been extremely successful. And he came in from Adobe. So, you know, I think there is precedent for Apple bringing in people from other com- com- companies and actually being able to do uh, a great job and fit into Apple's culture and, and that sort of thing. But I found this piece really pretty interesting again i think it would be best if they could get a designer i i would give the role to alan Dye if it, <laughs> if it was my choice and just sort of struggle through some of that upsetness he's been at the company for a long time a very talented designer and um i think he could lead that team those teams very very well and i think it would bring back that integration of hardware and software and i don't know how you feel about it but i, I feel like that's struggled a little bit in the um, sort of post johnny Ive environment and to get back to that place would be a, a really, really good thing. So just kind of how I'm thinking about it. If you have any thoughts on it, of course, as always, you can send me some feedback, uh, shoot me an email or an audio comment, Maccast at gmail.com. There's also another area where Apple is reportedly struggling with uh kind of hiring employees, and this is according to the site The Information This Week. They say that Apple is struggling with kind of engineering on their web search side. It's been believed for a while and I think we've talked about this in a few news stories that Apple wants to develop their own internal web search engine capabilities that could eventually replace their dependency on Google. And I think they want to do this for a number of reasons. One, as you know, Apple just likes to control their own destiny. They like to be in control of their own technology. But I think a bigger part of it is really uh, the security and privacy side of things, right? They're giving up a lot of data to Google uh, related to that, although Google does pay, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, a uh, pretty penny for for that. So Apple does make some money from that. But in recent years, Apple has invested a lot of time, resources, and money staffing in acquiring a, a pretty large team. I think the Beast said about 200 people or or so in this area now they're working on other parts of technologies for apple a lot of their internal search and stuff like that for things like the bookstore and the app store and music and all that sort of stuff and a lot of their ar ai machine learning uh technology is going into that but they have been making different acquisitions of companies and really trying to bolster up these efforts to develop this search engine. Now, Google is rumored to be paying Apple as much as $18 billion to $20 billion a year to remain the default search engine for Safari and on all Apple devices. So we don't expect Apple to really move away from Google anytime soon. And especially now, because it does sound like they're losing some key staff people in this area. And the report does claim that Apple's at least four years away from being able to completely move away from Google. That actually sounds like a pretty aggressive timeline to me. I mean, Google has been in search for a very, very long time. And if we look at something like The Apple Maps project, look how many years it's taken Apple really to get up to par with Google. And I think a lot of people might even argue they're not fully there yet. But I think they're a lot, lot closer at this point. But I mean, that's been, I don't know, what, five, six years, maybe longer. I'd have to go back and double check when Apple started working on Apple Maps. But it was kind of a mess at first. And I would imagine when Apple transitions away from Google for web search, it'll be a little little rocky again But I think they could pull it off. They obviously have a talented team, although, again, this piece over at The Information says they're struggling with that a little bit. But in the meantime, they continue to use that technology in other areas. So, you know, it's for their recommendation engines, things for Apple Music and the App Store and also Siri and Siri Suggestions and stuff like that. So that talent's not going to waste. But, again, behind the scenes, their, you know, long-term goal, it sounds like, is to work on a a full Apple-developed search engine for web search and to bolster some of their other efforts. And so, again, it doesn't surprise me. It it feels like something that Apple would want to do, again, to control their own destiny, to better control security and privacy. And I would assume it's also going to play into a lot of the things we've been talking about related to their advertising efforts, right? If they can have that data and information, they can keep that in-house and they can help drive their own Advertising efforts, whether we like that or not, you know, I don't I say that and I'm not super thrilled about even saying that myself, but it seems to be the way Apple is going. And at the very least, maybe that kind of keeps everything in house. And for us who are invested in the Apple ecosystem, right, it uh, protects our security and privacy, at least keeps it in one place and not all over the web. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how that works out, but uh, kind of the latest of what's going on with Apple internally with hiring and and different projects and stuff like that. Over on the supply chain side, Mac Rumors is reporting, according to a series of tweets from Ming-Chi Kuo this week, that Apple has, has asked their second supplier of AirPods Pro production, uh, Goer Tech, to stop assembly due to some production issues. It sounds like they're struggling a little bit. Um, so Apple's main supplier Lux share will, will reportedly step up their production, hopefully to ensure that Apple doesn't lose too much production time, especially moving into the critical holiday season. You know, we have an AirPods pro update with AirPods pro two, and they are amazing. I love mine and a lot of the new technologies. And so I would imagine that's going to be a big holiday item. And as we know, just overall supply chain has been struggling over the past, uh, you know year or so a little bit longer and so this could impact apple a little bit but uh, again luck share jumping in and hopefully it doesn't cause too much disruption uh speaking of ipod airpods pro rather there was also a new firmware update this week uh, so, if you have AirPods Pro, uh, AirPods Max, the original AirPods, AirPods Three, you know any version, there is new firmware out now. Apple does not provide any details on what's in there beyond simply saying the very non-specific. There are bug fixes and other improvements, but Nine to Five Mac recently mentioned reports of users with. Um, Surround sound audio drifting issues and audio syncing issues. And I think I've heard from a few folks in the in the uh, MacCast community that they've been having some struggles with their AirPods. So there is a new version out. Uh, you don't really have a way to update it. It should happen automatically. You can check to see what current version you are on. So the new version is uh, 5B58. So if you want to check that what you can do is you can connect your airpods your airpods pro to an ios device and then go into settings tap on general tap about and then tap on the airpods and then you should be able to look next to the version number and just confirm that you have the latest version so if you have been struggling a little bit with uh, some audio issues uh you might want to just make sure that uh, it's downloaded and updated that that firmware version now, over on the iOS side, uh, there does seem to be a possible change coming. This is something that 9to5Mac noticed in iOS 16.1.1 and the iOS 16.2 beta. But specifically for China, it's related to AirDrop. Uh, if you use AirDrop, you probably know that you have a couple different options. You can uh, turn AirDrop Discovery off completely. You can set it up to be contacts only so that only folks in your contacts can airdrop you items or there's also an option for everyone and the the everyone option is a little bit dangerous because if you're out and about people can uh, airdrop you things without your knowledge of course you get the notification but you also get a little preview and yeah there have been some stories of uh, people getting some uh, not so friendly airdrops uh, not realizing that they have that setting on so supposedly in iOS 16.1.1 and iOS 16.2 beta in China, Apple has added a new everyone for 10 minutes option. So when you select that, uh, it'll make it available for everyone, but then disable it after 10 minutes, which is kind of nice. And it reportedly was added uh in China after protesters used Airdrop to spread anti-government material. So some of the allegations are that Apple is kind of caving to China once again and, and the government in China. Part um, of doing business, unfortunately, but, yeah, it does get uh, some folks pretty upset. But Apple told Bloomberg's Mark Gurman that they actually plan to roll out the feature for everyone this year in an effort to stop what I'm going to call air bombing or airdrop spamming. But I like air bombing, right? You get air bombed with something you, you're you not expecting. So, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, never happened to me, uh, luckily, but I did when I read this story, and you might want to do this yourself, I went and checked, and I actually had my AirDrop set to everyone, I don't remember when I did that, I always try to remember to flip it back to contacts only or turn it off completely, but it was set that way on my iPhone, so I went and changed it, and hopefully this new feature will come out, because I like that idea, you know, that it's kind of a temporary thing, you generally only want everyone set temporarily anyway, so probably a good little enhancement and uh, it sounds like it's not going to be just a china only feature which is i think a good thing and then apple also officially announced this week a software update for ios uh, for iphone 14 models That they're going to be bringing that new emergency satellite SOS feature to the US and Canada. And that's going to be happening later this month. They came out with uh, an official press release, an official announcement and statement saying, yeah, it it will, it will be turned on later this month. At the same time, they also announced that they're going to be using about $450 million of their advanced manufacturing fund to help further develop the infrastructure and support for that feature of course a good portion of that funding is believed to be going to apple's launch partner for the feature global star so they're going to be able to roll out more satellites more coverage in more remote areas around the planet with that uh with that investment so if you've been waiting for that feature it should be coming out uh, again later this month and i think a couple weeks ago, we heard that Apple was actually going to roll out a sort of demo feature. So you'll be able to try it out and not actually trigger an actual emergency SOS because obviously you don't want to, uh, to do that. But you'll be able to kind of see how it works and see how it functions and that sort of thing. So that'll be very interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk about that on a future episode of the MacCast once that rolls out. And then finally in the news for this week, we have some updates on Apple's AR VR headset. It is getting closer to release, closer and closer to release, it sounds like. I know it feels like we've been talking about it for so long, but many, uh, many folks expecting it to come out sometime in 2023. Latest now is from a new report from Bloomberg. They say that Apple is continuing the push to hire folks to work in their AR and VR technology areas uh german claims that the operating system for the arvr headset is nearing completion and should be ready for the hardware release sometime next year uh and in the report he does say that the os is supposedly codenamed oak which is an interesting codename i wonder if they're just using uh trees or leaves or something like that but Anyway, says the team working on the hardware is part of the technology development group, and Apple is continuing to hire in that area despite recent reports of slowing down hiring efforts elsewhere at the company. So they kind of have a hiring freeze, and they're not really growing again. Lot due to where the economy is and and that sort of thing, but it sounds like within the uh, ARVR tech group, uh, it's a little bit different. And some of the more recent job openings seem to be more focused on the software and content side, along with uh, building out application frameworks for third-party development. So that's another indication that we're maybe getting closer to a launch phase where Apple is really done with the hardware that's sort of locked in it's going to be moving into production and prototyping stages or late prototyping stages i guess i should say and then they're really going to be focusing on the launch content and and you know giving us a reason to want to buy it uh, even though we know it's uh rumored for the first version to be very very high end and very very pricey we're expecting in the two thousand to three thousand dollar price range which is nowhere near sort of what's happening with a, some of apple's other competitors so they'd better be able to blow us away i think on the software and applications side if they really want this to work out i, I have a feeling they're really hoping uh, you know a lot of early adopters are going to kind of invest in the technology they're going to get it in the hands of developers try to figure out what goes on there, and that's a strategy Apple often takes with uh, with new devices. You remember the iPhone was extremely expensive, even subsidized when it came out, and didn't have apps, and you it know, took a few years to kind of figure out uh, some of the technologies. Obviously, there were some, some great use cases at launch, but it was really designed for early adopters, and we've seen Apple do this over and over again. I would even argue that the uh, original iPod was that way in a lot of ways as well. Pretty expensive. So, um, you know, along with sort of hiring uh, new folks to develop software and content, Apple is also apparently starting to shift some of their internal staff o- over to work on the ARVR project. So, moving people from other departments and other places. They brought back Dave Scott, who allegedly led the team's. Uh, Apple car project, project Titan before he left Apple in 2021. So he's supposedly come back to work with the AR VR team. And so Apple is really shifting resources to kind of. I think, the finish line, right? It's time to get that project over the line. Uh, DigiTimes reported this week that Pegatron, uh, Apple's manufacturing partner, has been selected as the main manufacturing partner for the headset, and they believe that they could start to begin production in March of 2023. Those predictions uh, line up with ones from Ming-Chi Kuo and others that seem to indicate a possible second-quarter launch of apple's uh, ARVR headset supposedly in time for worldwide developer conference so i think they want to roll this out have it ready so they they can give apis and things over to developers at worldwide developer conference so they continue to to develop software and applications for the headset so all that timing seems to line up again anything could shift <laughs> we're you know in in rumor mode at this point so who knows but the stars are pointing right now in that direction, and hopefully Apple can can pull it off. It's going to be nice to have a brand new category of product to kind of talk about, and it should be pretty exciting. I, you know, I've been wanting to see what Apple's going to do in the AR VR side of things for a while. I mean, we've had hints of it with uh, AR Kit, and there's been some cool applications, but this is sort of going to take it, I think, to the next level. And uh, I'm excited for it, but uh, it looks like it's going to be sometime in the first half of 2023. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of our show sponsors, starting with ZocDoc. And you, if you've been a listener to the MacCast for a while, you know I am into board games. I love sitting down with my family, taking a break, uh, getting a game like Settlers of Catan or Ticket to Ride and just having a good time. But definitely a game I don't enjoy playing is the hurry-up-and-wait game. Especially when I'm sick and I'm not feeling well. I think we've, a lot of us, been there. You get sick and you want to see a doctor, you go to try and schedule something, uh, you know, working through your insurance, but everything's booked up. You can't get an appointment. It's going to be weeks, maybe even months, and it's incredibly frustrating. And that's why I use ZocDoc to find quality in network doc- doctors who can actually see me within days, not weeks. ZocDoc makes it incredibly easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. Plus, they have real verified patient reviews so you could find a doctor that's right for you, one who can actually remember your name and know who you are. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient reviewed and take your insurance and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find Every specialist under the sun, whether you're trying to straighten your teeth, fix an achy back, get a mole checked out, or pretty much anything else, ZocDoc has you covered. ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting delivery to your house. You just search, find, and book doctors within a few taps. You can find and review local doctors, read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments, so when you walk into your doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com to find a doctor that is right for you and book an appointment in person or remotely, at something that works on your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. So go to ZocDoc.com slash to download the ZocDoc app for free Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many available within 24 hours. That's zocdoc.com/slash/maccast. Zocdoc.com/slash/maccast. And a big thank you to them for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. You know, if you thought about protecting your home with home security but have been waiting for the right time you'll want to listen up right now maccast listeners can order the number one rated simply safe home security system for 50 percent off this is their biggest offer of the year and you won't want to miss it here's why i love it the ease of setup and flexibility of the system is unbelievable paralleled you're able to self-install the system with ease and they offer a wide range of sensors so you can easily build and adapt the system to fit your home and the features that you want it was something i was actually able to do when i moved and needed to cover a much larger home and more space i was able to go in and add additional sensors to my system i was able to bring the system with me because it was self-installed it was very easy to take down very easy to set up and it is just amazing. And it's why SimpliSafe was named the best home security system of 2022 by U.S. News and World Report for a third year in a row. And in an emergency, their 24-7 professional monitoring agents use fast protect technology exclusive from SimpliSafe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real. So you get a priority police response. SimpliSafe is Whole home security with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door. HD security cameras for inside and out. Smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when a threat is real. And even hazard sensors that detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. The 24-7 professional monitoring service costs under $1 a day. That's less than half the price of ADT's traditional professionally installed system. And with the top-rated Simply Safe app... You can stay in complete control of your system anytime, anywhere. Arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, or adjust your system settings. Don't miss out on your chance for massive savings on my favorite security system. Get 50% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash maccast today. This is their biggest discounting of the year. That's simplysafe.com slash maccast, and there's no safe like simply safe a big thank you to simply safe for their support of the show likely as you know apple has put out a new version of mac os i know you know because you listen to this podcast we talked about a little bit mac os ventura has been released was released in october and many of us have upgraded myself included playing around with it i would say overall not massive massive changes but there's some nice little quality of life enhancements not so sure how i'm feeling about stage manager i've been playing with it on and off for a little bit but uh you know everything else is pretty good the settings we've talked about that maybe not the greatest feature but yeah there's some nice enhancements to mail and and some other places and and things so you know A lot of folks uh, want to be able to upgrade. And about every year, I do hear from many in our Madcast community who have older computers that are maybe unsupported. And they go searching around the internet and check around to find out, hey, is there a way for me to upgrade my older system? And I actually received one of those emails this week from David he saw an article over on Ars Technica I will link to it in the show notes at matcast.com about a project called Open Core Legacy Patcher and it basically allows you to patch the uh, the firmware I think it does it in memory if I'm not mistaken and uh, kind of allows you to run uh, newer versions of the Mac operating system on older Macs that are maybe unsupported. And so David asked me, hey, have you ever heard of this patcher? And if so, do you know, is it safe to use? I think this is a great question. Is it safe to use? He said, it seems scary, but it would be nice to be able to run Ventura. And I had not directly heard of this uh, this program but doing some research reading the ars technica article it sounds like this patcher is actually an offshoot of some of the patchers used by the x86 hackintosh movement and i think we've talked about that in the past right there's a bunch of people out there that want to be able to run mac os on non-apple hardware specifically intel machines i don't know if they ever got it going on other ARM-based machines. I think there has been an effort to do that, though, uh, because I think I remember uh, Linus Torvalds wanting to be able to run macOS on... uh Various variants of uh, of Linux, or maybe it's the other way, around, just run Linux on Mac hardware. I'm probably conflating things at this point. But regardless, there was this movement, it has been this movement, I think it still exists, to run Mac OS on uh, standard Intel hardware. You know, build your own PC box and then run Mac OS on it, because who wouldn't want to run Mac OS? It's the best operating system out there in my humble opinion. So David asked about this, I actually found a 28 minute video how to video from a guy named Mr. Macintosh on YouTube about how to set up and install this. And so I will link that that, to that in the show notes at maccast.com. As far as is this safe to use, I would say you need to use your own judgment and caution. Now, the project has its full source code up on GitHub. So In my opinion, that's a good thing. I would assume if there was nefarious code in there or if it was doing things that it shouldn't be doing, uh, there'd be a lot of reports of that. I doubt uh, a news outlet in our community, a tech news outlet in our community like ours Technica would be covering the project if it was dangerous, but it's like a lot of things. Buyer beware, right? This is open source software. It's written by a community it is unsupported by apple uh they're not going to help you with it and if you get into trouble you are going to be pretty much on your own that's kind of how a lot of uh a lot of things like this work so you know just be smart about it use your your own judgment But I I think it would be okay if this was something that you really wanted to do, David, and you really wanted to explore, you know, like everything I say, do your research, go in eyes wide open. And it sounds like by asking me the question, that's exactly what you're doing. So I think you're on the right path. Um, But I wanted to talk about this a little bit more broadly within our community, right? Because I think it's super cool that there's folks out there that are doing these sorts of projects that, you know, they want to kind of push the limits and get newer versions of the operating system some of these newer features running on older hardware and older machines that apple has deemed you know unsupported and let's be honest kind of unworthy or incapable of maybe running these features and these new operating systems for one way or another now there's a lot of folks in the community that would debate that a lot of people want to argue that there's planned obsolescence and that a lot of reasons why apple sets some of these cutoffs is simply to force hardware upgrades and i'm not going to say that's not probably one factor in the decision but i think it's a minor one i i think they really look at performance of these features they look at the user experience i i I really believe apple puts that first and foremost and yes they do get an added benefit of you know you have a 2015 macintosh and it's not going to run the latest version of the operating system and you want to be able to do that so hey you got to buy some new hardware but that's six-year-old hardware six-year-old computer hardware and yes it's still useful and it probably has many many uses but you're probably going to run into a lot of bigger technical challenges with older hardware than just running the latest, greatest operating systems, right? But you you all know that I am a huge fan of repurposing and using older hardware, but I think well, you need to have realistic expectations, right? It's not going to be able to do the latest and greatest stuff. You're not going to be able to connect the latest and greatest hardware to it, right? There's, there's very few cases, at least in the Apple community, I know I'm probably going to get some emails from those, those of you who say, well, if we just had upgradable expandable boxes we could put pci cards in you know we could upgrade things like our like our thunderbolt from thunderbolt 2 to thunderbolt 4 you wouldn't be wrong but in the apple world that's just not typically how it works right if you want the latest greatest technology you are going to have to upgrade your computer and i think most of us go into the ecosystem understanding that and if that's something you don't agree with, you have other options, right? There are other options in the market. That's personally how I feel about it. But moving back to this, right? So running a a new operating system on older hardware that Apple says isn't supported. Yes, it's cool um but i think you do need to ask yourself a lot of questions before you dive in and try it probably first and foremost is how much time do you have on your hands because you're going to spend a lot of time tinkering and tweaking and stuff like that and if that's just something you enjoy go for it right? that could be a lot of fun like i said it's it's worth trying if that's something you want to experiment with but you probably do have to ask yourself why is apple actually not supporting my hardware there's probably very good reasons why they're not supporting it on older systems. And it usually probably comes down to user experience, technical challenges, bugs, and those sorts of things. And so you're going to be working through all of those on your own. Apple already did it in their internal testing when they kind of figure out where those cutoffs were. So you're going to be struggling with that. And dealing with that, and you're going to have to work with the community that supports this, the open source community to kind of fix things and work through things and different hardware is going to have different reactions. And depending upon your computer, it might work on some things and might other things might not work. So you're not going to have that seamless Apple user experience that we expect when we update an operating system, right? We're not expecting to have bugs. So just go in eyes wide open knowing you're going to be dealing with that. Uh, Another reason a lot of people want to be able to upgrade is they say, well, I want to be able to have access to the latest security features and security patches and, and those sorts of things. But you know, Apple already does a pretty good job of that. They support security patches back to the at least last two versions of the operating system. So if you could run macOS Monterey or macOS Big Sur, Apple did push out security patches for both of those operating systems in October. So they continue to support their older operating systems pretty far back. And that's going to cover a wide range A pretty wide range of older hardware and you know again as hardware gets older i don't like this as being the only option but there also is security through obscurity a lot of people aren't trying to target say my mac mini that's still running mac os snow leopard uh with hacks right (laughs) and a lot of times a good good thing when you're repurposing old hardware is if you can keep it off the internet and and not connecting to the internet that's a good thing that that's sometimes hard to do but make it autonomous and you know that's a way to protect older hardware so you have options there but you know as far as upgrading the operating system to older hardware i would argue what is in Ventura that you're really after again if it's this if it's the new system preferences you're not missing much if it's stage manager a lot of people would argue you're not missing much there either so this is kind of an incremental Date to the operating system, I don't see this as having a bunch of amazing new features that would be worth the struggles for running on an older unsupported system. But to each their own. So if you do want to try, I'm not going to stop you. I you know I think it's it's worth trying if you're willing to play around and tinker and deal with maybe some of the issues. But if you do try, I just want to give you some warnings and some, some things to think about. One... Backup, backup, backup. I, I can't iterate that enough. Make sure that you have good backups of your system. You have a recovery plan. If everything goes south and it runs horribly and you hate it, have a way to roll back. Know how you're going to get back. Make a plan. Be ready for that. Be prepared for that. Also, just be prepared to troubleshoot issues and that you're going to be out there on your own, uh, relying on the community that developed this thing to kind of give you support. And that doesn't always work out great so go in eyes wide open and it's going to be technically challenging like i said the video i I found on how to set this up it's a 28 minute how-to video it goes step by step and might be a helpful resource to you if you want to do this yourself but you know just be prepared it's probably not going to perform how you expect a lot of the features may or may not work so it might not be the experience that you're looking for but again it could be fun and it's a great hey look what i was able to do experiment isn't this amazing apple said this isn't supported and here i made it work and there's a lot of there's a lot of pride and success in getting that that going but i personally definitely wouldn't do this on a mac that i use and rely on day in and day out as my main machine it might be worth you know dedicating some older hardware or repurposing some older hardware to try this and just play around and experiment and uh if you do i'd be curious to hear how it went for you so if anybody has tried this and is running mac os ventura on older unsupported hardware using this open core legacy patcher let us know about it let us know your experience let us know what's working and what's not working shoot me some feedback send me an email uh, maccast gmail.com and i look forward to uh to hearing about that so there you go david uh that's kind of my opinion on it i hope that helps out and helps answer your question. So here was a great idea. I think it came from Gary uh, via email who said, hey, I would love it if uh, moving into the holidays here, we kind of did some community uh, recommendations for uh, products and things that we think are cool that might make great gifts for the Apple fan, the Mac fan in your life, or maybe even suggestions you can give your family for Things that you want. And so here are a few of my favorite Apple things. (laughs) Using a little song there. Anyway, uh, I thought I'd start off things, kick things off for us, but I do really want you to chime in, whether you do it with an audio comment or an email or a suggestion. Um, Send in your recommendations for things that you think are cool, that you love, that you've maybe purchased over the last year or two that uh, really make your Apple experience better. And these can be things from Apple, it could be third parties, it could be software, it could be hardware, it doesn't really matter. Just looking for your holiday gift guide kind of recommendations. And so I'm going to start off with uh, two of my favorites. And uh, one is kind of getting back to this tinkering and working on older Macs and keeping our Macs running and that sort of stuff is iFixit Toolkits. Um, and right now they're actually having Black Friday holiday promotion. So you can get 25% off for Black Friday. They've started those sales early and they have these really great kits with all of the drivers and tools and things like that. You need to be able to open up your Mac. They've got the little spludgers and, and little things to help you do it correctly, to not damage things, to be able to, uh, you know, pull open glass, say on your, on your imac and uh, little cutters to get through the glue and and uh, seals that apple puts on their things so if you need to replace your own iphone screen or something like that uh, you can do it with their instruction guides and their great toolkits they have different kinds of bundles that have different options two that i like looking at their black friday holiday deals are the electronics repair bundle so this is in in a nice little case and It has cool little features like the top of the hard shell case that this kit comes in. You flip it over and it's got little uh, places to organize your screws. So very important when you're doing an Apple repair. To keep your screws organized because they go in specific places and they're specific sizes, and so you want to take them out in a certain order. You want to keep track of them, put them back in, and it has nice little trays and, and features for doing that. It closes up with a little magnetic thing, and again it has all the little bits and drivers that you're going to need to repair your Apple products. And if you want to go whole hog, their ProTech bundle is like the biggie. I think it's about sixty five bucks U S, um, but it has every tool and driver and thing that, the thing that you need. And I. Actually, use my iFixit toolkits all the time, even for projects outside of Apple stuff. You know, I'll run into little tiny screws on other devices that I have around the house that I need to get into, and uh, I immediately have what I need. So, this is great for anybody whoever has to deal with uh, with tech stuff. And, you know, repair kits and toolkits are wonderful. The iFixit ones are nice. They're a little bit more expensive. If you're more on a budget, you know, you can go on Amazon and find great little computer tool sets and toolkits for a little bit cheaper. But iFixit really puts together the right ones for uh, Apple users. And, again, they've been doing it for a long time, really high-quality products, and I really, really do love them so that's my first pick for the holiday gift guide iFixit toolkits another thing that i think is great and we're constantly needing is chargers and cables and i am a big fan of anchor Uh, and specifically they have a bunch of great chargers out now um the, the gallium-based chargers that are really tiny, smaller than what Apple gives you. They have features where you get more power, you can plug in more devices. Literally, they are all great. They have an entire collection. I'm going to link to it in the show notes at MacHas.com. There's different levels. There's the 3-series, the 5-series, and the 7-series. I tend to go with the 3 and the 5, but they're all great, different price points, um I really like the 511 nano chargers. They come in 20 watt versions and 30 watt versions so they can support fast charging with your devices if you need that. Um And they're incredibly, incredibly tiny. I buy them pretty much in bulk these days. I get two or three or four, and then I always have one on hand if I need one or if someone were to lose one or something like that. Uh, Come in different colors and styles, so they can kind of meet meet your needs. And I would also say right now, check out the new Anchor 736 charger. This is the Nano 2. It's a 100-watt charger. And it can support fast charging your MacBook, your iPhone, and your AirPods all at the same time. And it's actually physically smaller than Apple's 96-watt MacBook power brick. So you get all that power, and you get additional connectors and ports to be able to multi-charge multiple things all at the same time. And it's smaller than Apple's, so it makes it more portable more handy just really really cool and i love anchor products across the board i also get their get their cables they have great cables so if you're looking for usb c cables Uh, They have a bunch of great sizes, options, all those sorts of things. And again, I kind of have a little mini, (laughs) I think I have a little mini anchor uh, store in my office at this point. I just have, you know, extra cables, extra chargers all on hand uh, to supply my family. It actually came up this week. They were going on a trip and my wife's uh, cable gave out and I had one right on hand so you can get great deals they have bundle options and and those sorts of things right now a lot of deals going on for the holidays so check it out anchor.com that's A-N-K-E-R And uh, those are my first two picks. But yeah, I'm looking forward to yours. What are some of your favorite things? Hardware, software, what are you loving? What don't we know about that we should in our little Apple and Mac community? Let us know about that. Shoot me an email. Send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. And so I guess finally related to that, uh, we have a listener thing of the moment this week. This one came in from Corey who was looking for some more serious Thunderbolt 4, specifically USB-C expansion support for his M1 Mac Mini setup. You know, there are a lot of docking solutions out there, uh, but most of them are limited when it comes to the Thunderbolt 4 ports. You usually get one inbound and then two outbound, but most of us at least need to connect one USB-C or Thunderbolt device, and maybe you want to be able to connect more. And specifically with M1 Mac Mini, because it only has two built-in Thunderbolt USB-C ports, Corey was looking to expand and uh, he found a great product from our friends over at OWC, MacSales.com. And it's the OWC Mini Stack STX, and it offers three additional Thunderbolt 4, 40 gigabit per second forty gigabits per second. Ports, Of course, those are USB-C as well. So uh, you connect one in and you get three out at full speed, full Thunderbolt 4, great quality. Um, OWC makes incredible products, but it doesn't stop there because this device also has a built-in SATA drive bay that can fit a hard drive and hdd and i would assume also an ssd but it doesn't say that and then in addition it offers an nvme m.2 ssd slot so you can plug in an mv mve ssd in there as well And they offer a bunch of different uh, sort of pre-built configurations and options. You can get it completely empty and configure your own storage in there. Or they do offer a bunch of pre-configured options. You can kind of get it set up however you want, all the way up to 26 gigabytes of total storage. And that's with an 18 gigabyte traditional uh, 7200 RPM hard drive and 8 gigabytes of NVMe uh, SSD storage. And they do have two power options, power delivery options. You can get a 60-watt version or a 96-watt version. And you will need to have a Mac that supports natively Thunderbolt 3 or Thunderbolt 4. So if you have an older machine, Thunderbolt 1 or 2, this is not the product for you. Uh, As far as displays go, you can hook up two external displays for Intel Mac machines running over the Thunderbolt connection. Or if you have an Apple M1 or M2 Mac you could hook up one additional Thunderbolt, uh, one additional external display over Thunderbolt. And that's just a limitation of the M1 M2s, unfortunately. Um, So not anything that's uh, on the OWC side. But again, it gives you a bunch of additional full throttle Thunderbolt 4 ports, uh, really cool little product. Oh, and it's sized exactly the same as your Mac Mini. That's why it's called the stack. So you can literally uh, stack it either on top of or under your Mac Mini, and it looks great on your desk. Really great design, super slim, super small. And Corey says he's loving his, so he wanted to share that with us. And so, Corey, thank you so much for sending in your thing of the moment for the MacCast community. Again, I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com if you want to check it out. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, before I leave you, I want to take a quick moment to thank a couple of our show supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at dot com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by BackBeat Media. You will find them at BackBeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, one of those great recommendations, a holiday gift guide item to share with us, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9. You can leave a voicemail there. And if you need show notes, links to anything that are talked about on this or any other episode of MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. Dot com, And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But with that, that'll do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.